Welcome to the Athletes in the Arts podcast, hosted by Stephen Karaginas and Yasi Ansari. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Athletes in the Arts podcast, along with my co-host, Yasi Ansari. I'm Stephen Karaginas. Thank you very much for taking time out of your day to listen to our show. If you like what you hear, please leave a review and also click subscribe to make sure you get every episode when they come out. We represent the Athletes in the Arts Initiative, so to learn more and get access to helpful resources, go to www.athletesinthearts.com. Now, our episode today is a big thrill for us, as we get to talk to two amazing and highly accomplished women about the power of sound and music to shape and heal ourselves. These two individuals work together to evangelize the intersection of art and health through research and advocacy and education. We're talking about groundbreaking work in neuroscience, the ability to use music and rhythm to treat things like concussions, Alzheimer's, autism, and even aging. First, we have Professor Nina Kraus from Northwestern University. She's the founder of the BrainVolts Auditory Neuroscience Laboratory, where she has spent her career studying sound, its influence on reading and language, and conditions such as autism, aging, and even HIV. She leads an NIH-funded investigation into treating concussions with sound and rhythm. She also wrote the book of Sound Mind, How Our Brains Construct a Meaningful Sonic World. Our other guest today is a special treat for us, one of the most famous and acclaimed singers in history, Renee Fleming. Now, we can do a podcast just on her accomplishments, but as a performer, we can simply say that she's been nominated for 17 Grammys, won four, nominated for a Tony, performed in over 50 different operas, performed for numerous world leaders, been on numerous TV shows, movies, Broadway stages, awarded the National Medal of Arts, Sweden's Poor Music Prize, Germany's Cross of the Order of Merit, the list goes on and on. Now, if that doesn't impress you, consider this. She's the only classical singer to ever sing the national anthem at the Super Bowl. And she sings the songs in Lord of the Rings, Return of the King. Spoiler alert, remember at the end with the Eagles saving Frodo and Sam, that angelic voice singing in the background? Yep, that's her singing in elf tongue. Now, if that isn't impressive enough, Renee Fleming has also become a leading advocate for neuroscience research. She started the weekly web series, Music and the Mind, presenting with Nina Kraus and other researchers at hospitals and universities all across the country. She's also helped start the Sound Health Network and the NeuroArts Blueprint, also published in JAMA with NIH Director Dr. Francis Collins, and received the Research America Rosenfeld Award for Impact on Popular Opinion. Very few performers have actually led the way in developing a scientific field through research, education, and advocacy quite like she has. Nina, Renee, we are so honored to have you on our show today. Thank you for being here. We're delighted to be here. Likewise. So the first thing we want to talk about really is just the importance of sound and hearing to overall cognitive function. Because when people think about hearing, they really don't give it as much attention as like, say, vision or even like taste or touch. Tell us a little bit about how sound works with cognitive function. Well, sound is, is, is so powerful and it is such an under-recognized force in our lives. And um, one of the important messages is that the hearing brain is vast. And that means that it connects with our cognition, what we know. It connects with our feelings. It connects with how we bring together information from our other senses, and it connects with how we move. But, you know, sound is invisible 
So it is really under-recognized, and we live in a very visually biased world, yet sound is absolutely fundamental to who we are. It's tremendously tied with, with our thinking, in fact, and, and our memories. Um, and importantly, it connects us. It connects us like nothing else does. You know, like even right now, we're talking, nobody has a script. This is alive. And it's a very intimate back and forth, back and forth connection that only sound can enable us to do. And studying this uh, biologically, which is what I do, is just, is just fascinating. So what led you to create your Brain Vaults lab at Northwestern University? You started like 30 years ago before most folks are even talking about sound as a health risk in work. Yeah, well, many things. Um, I, if, if you look at our, our Brain Vaults website, you'll see that we, that we study uh, concussion and uh, head injury. We study music, rhythm, aging, development, language, you know, and you might wonder, well, you know, what, what, what are they doing at Brain Vaults? And, and it's all under the umbrella of sound and the brain. I'm a biologist. And, um, you know, what we have discovered is that, you know, for example, as I'm talking to you now, the neurons in your brain that respond to sound are producing electricity. And we have figured out ways of measuring that really, really well so that we can get an idea about who you are. You know, your sonic self is very much affected by your life and sound. And I came to this because um, I, I, English is not my first language. I, I grew up in a, in a family where more than one language was spoken. My mom was a pianist and, um, and my uncle, Hans was a sports medicine man who uh, very much believed in, uh, in, in uh, that, that everyone should be physically fit in the same way as I think Renee and I believe that every child should have a musical education. Um, and it is not only, in fact, it is really for everyone and not for only the 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 Rene Flemings and uh, the, the, the 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 star athletes, the the, the people who make um, uh, varsity. So um, you know, I I just kind of grew up with this idea, this holistic sense of oh, we are what we do, and as a biologist, putting this together. And also putting it together, you know, again, you know, just kind of leaning on my 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 uncle Hans, who first you know worked with uh, with Eisenhower and then Kennedy um, on the Council of Physical Fitness to help bring um, an, an an awareness of physical education to everyone um, is something that I, I just deeply feel. And 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 in uh, in in founding Brain Volts and in writing my book of Sound Mind how our brain constructs a meaningful sonic world. That's my love letter to sound. And it is a, 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 it, it's a message that I hope that, that, that everyone will read and, and realize how important sound is so that we can respect it, we can honor it, we can make the most of it. Because, uh, you know, who, who are we? We are, 
we are our our memories and our sonic right. memories are tremendously tremendously linked and so what we do in our lives the choices we make um, are, are really really important and if we can use sound for health so uh, with music we know that that um, making music strengthens the brain for thinking for paying attention for memory and we know that the athlete brain is a very great brain for making sense of sensory events. And we also know because making sense of sound is one of the hardest jobs we ask our brain to do, when you get hit in the head, you're going to disrupt that. So being able to measure sound processing in the brain as, as we're doing it at Brain Vaults, we have uh, an NIH grant where we're testing all of our um, uh, Big Ten athletes, uh, all 500 of them before and after every season. And if an athlete sustains a concussion, we follow them very, very carefully. And it, it, it's very clear, you know, if, if you go to a sports medicine conference, um, everyone talks about vision. Everybody talks about balance. And, you know, it is my hope as an ambassador, as an advocate, it is my hope that soon um, hearing and the sound mind, remember the hearing brain is vast, that hearing and the biological health that it represents will become a major character in sports health. Yeah, one of the, it always, it's not lost on me that in a world in which we're constantly uh, connected to um, digital communication through texting and email, et cetera, uh, the word tone comes up a lot, being very careful about what you can't, you can't actually replicate tone in that type of communication. And so much is lost, so much subtlety, so much uh, of what it is we're actually trying to say gets lost for that reason. And then the other thing that I always think about are lullabies. Lullabies are universal. And infants can recognize a lullaby, even if it's from a culture that's vastly different than their own. Uh, it's so much a part of our DNA. Um, the, the bonding process with infants is so crucially important in their development. And lullaby has been really one of the, one of the most important resources for that. In fact, Carnegie Hall has a great initiative um, in which they're, they're teaching very, very young mothers uh, from lower socioeconomic strata to create their own lullabies and try to get them to connect with the babies they're going to have that may, that they maybe not have, they may not have chosen to have and may not even um, understand what it means for their lives, but this is a good head start. Yeah. I, I mean, you say babies, Renee. Um, I mean, everybody knows, but you know, we don't think about this. Everybody knows when your baby is crying, what do you do? You rock him, you rock him. And, you know, so the rhythm in music is, is again, part of our DNA. It's part of, it's part of the rhythm of speech. And, um, but it's, it's, it's so fundamentally important that if we can recognize that, you know, you know think about it in terms of um, the, the healing power that rhythm has, just that, that every, every parent knows. Well, and this is this is right. So much of this work is is something that we take for granted that we we kind of innately understand, but we need to see it through a scientific lens, and it needs to be validated by science for um, 
for to get to gain respect and the type of validation that produces uh, support, financial support for some of these therapies, some of these ideas. And as you said, I mean, if concussion can be identified early, um, I love this work that Nina is doing um, with a with a hearing test. Uh, what a what a gift to these athletes who are risking their brain health to to do something that should be fun. Yeah, you know, it's, crazy. Go ahead. it's crazy that we don't always think about the the auditory signs and um, and how important it is to be to think about all that. Um, Renee, what triggered your move from performer to advocate? Well, I'm still performing, but I've, I've added the advocacy piece, um, which has definitely made my day a, an even more busy one than it already was. Uh, but passion, I would say passion. I mean, I was really struck by the day that I met Nina was at a conference at the National Institutes of Health. Um, it was kind of a convening, really. Um, Francis Collins and I had just started working at the Kennedy Center as, an, uh, as a, a consultant. And I met Francis and said, why can we look at this interest that scientists seem to have in music in the brain? And why are they studying music in the brain? And he said, it's because the brain is extremely complicated. We want to understand it. We have a brain initiative. And music has a vast effect on the brain and many, many more parts than other activities do, even just with listening. Um, Activity is, of course, even more. So um, he said, you know what, it's time to kind of bring folks together in this field. And so we had, you know, researchers and, and therapists. And of course, those of us representing the Kennedy Center came for two days and listened to presentations. And Nina's was one of them. And I was completely hooked. I just said, this is so fascinating. Uh, and I really think if people understood uh, what, the, what the science and, and basic science, evolutionary science all of that behind this is uh, we would definitely not be abandoning our lessons that we give to children. Um, Or we would think about creative aging in a different way. We would add that as an important part of aging. We would take care of people with um, a variety of disorders, up to 50 different disorders with arts therapies. I mean, think of how it helps veterans. I mean, if you look at creative forces that the NEA uh, has funded with Walter Reed, the the uh, the help that they're giving these veterans who had tremendous brain injuries is just extraordinary. Um, so anyway, I, I that's why I'm an advocate because it's clear to me that there is a there there, and um, in fact, the field is exploding at this point. What kind of therapeutic applications have you seen now with all the different uh, you know people you've met in your music in the mind series um, in conditions like Alzheimer's or autism? Alzheimer's is so complicated. Um, one of the things we already know is that uh, music memory is, is the last memory to go. Um, and I saw this with my husband's aunt, who for the last almost two years of her life could only sing songs. If you started with one word, she could sing the whole song, but she did not know she didn't know anyone around her um, and was not mobile at all. So I just thought, this is amazing. And I've heard this story from many people. So, um, you know, and, and science doesn't really understand that yet. They, they guess that it has to do with, um, uh, you know, sort of muscle memory and parts of the brain that are, uh, that it has to do with plasticity, of course. 
But the improvements that are made in with various therapies are extraordinary. And I know uh, Connie Tamino, who's in Mount Vernon, is trying to utilize that uh, music memory to maintain the connection for a little bit longer. Um, certainly Oliver Sacks was working on this uh, before he passed away. The film Alive Inside, which is on YouTube, shows us a lot about this type of, of memory. And so there's potential. There's a lot of potential with arts therapies and uh, various forms of dementia. Yeah, my son has autism and he actually plays video games that are very musically oriented and he his his mood and everything gets so much better when he plays certain video games that have music involved in like most Nintendo games, for instance. He talks about the music all the time. He's jumping around. He gets his exercise playing video games. <laughs> Um, and he becomes healthier because he's playing them because the music's driving him. So I always noticed that the musical af- aspect of his autism is so tied to his, his well-being. Oh, that's amazing. Uh, it is, it's used a lot. Um, Miriam Lentz in Nashville actually works with autistic children, and it's a huge part of the, the type of therapies that they use. Um, and I think actually music therapists are probably more active with autistic children than almost any other uh, a subset of our population. Yeah, you know, with um, music um, and autism, you know, one of the things that that, that uh, we've we've discovered over the years is if if you measure the brain's response to sound in a person on the autism spectrum, um, some of the aspects of sound, so the ones that that really give you the information about what you mean. You know, so if you're asking a question and your voice is going up or you're making a statement, your voice is going down, um, that really gives you intent, right? Am I mad? Am I sad? Where am I going? What, what are my feelings? And we see that some kids on the autism spectrum, not all of them, and again, this is important because people are so different, but some of them really, um, their brains don't follow a very simple contour that goes up and down. And, you know, again, we can measure this on a kid with the, on, on the spectrum just with scalp electrodes. We can see whether this is part of, um, of the problem. And again, as, as Renee says, the um, music therapy has been really, really big with autism, and especially the rhythm component, uh, because, you know, rhythm is, is an important part of both music and speech. And it, it's, it's really a way to help with, um, it, it helps improve language and it helps improve cognitive function, uh, which is also, um, you know, some, somewhere that I, I hope we'll be able to take our athlete work to be able to um, someday really use, utilize rhythm as a therapeutic method to help with concussion recovery, especially in, um, you know, as, as you know, most concussions resolve within a day or so, but there are a, a great number of, of, of concussions um, that have, that, that, where people have persistent symptoms and it takes a while to recover. And so to help speed that up, um, I, I think that there is a really big, big role for rhythm and rhythm therapies, um, especially digital rhythm therapies, because rhythm is so is so key, and it is because the hearing brain is vast, 
rhythm is so tied to our emotional health and to our cognitive health. And of course, to how we make sense, how we connect with others and, and with, with, with the world. Now Um, I wanted, I wanted to ask what kind of impact do the arts and sound and rhythm therapies have on developing brains across the lifespan, especially in our youth? I know that we talked a lot about autism and Alzheimer's, but like, we know, what about the youth and children? You know, speaking as a scientist, as, as a biologist, um, I, I, we've studied sound processing in the brain for across the lifespan. And the, the, the data are resounding that biologically, um, people who make music, and it really is the actual making of music, it doesn't matter what instrument, doesn't matter what genre, of course, singing counts. Um, it, it, it is the making of music that actually strengthens sound processing in the brain, which is absolutely essential for learning, for thinking, for connecting. Um, so this is important throughout our life. And we can really see this biologically. And, and you know, I mean, people came to Brain Vaults, some of the founders of, of edu- music education programs, and they said, you know, we already know, the teachers said, we already know that the children who play music are the better students. What's going on in their brain? And, you know, through years and years of longitudinal studies, uh, we, you know, were able to see that over time, and it takes time, because fortunately, the brain doesn't change every second. We have a very stable brain. But in time, when we do things again and again and again, as one does when one makes music and learns music, you rewire the brain in a way that is not only important for making music, but for communicating through sound, through, for reading, for thinking, for memory. Um, so you it's always amazing together, when you see this. Well, it's yeah, always amazing when you see the schools uh, cut arts right away when they have to make budget cuts, yet it's so intrinsic to normal brain function for intelligence. And Asal Habibi in uh, at USC actually added to that by saying that the, the numbers of, of children with hyperactivity with ADHD went down. So there's their, they, it improved their ability to, we, when we know this again, intrinsically that you have to, in order to practice an instrument, you have to focus. Um, it takes time, it takes discipline, it takes self-discipline. So programs, for instance, especially in the lower socioeconomic uh, groups are, are extremely helpful uh, for them to be able to catch up to other kids and, and even surpass them. Uh, because of this uh, this this type of instruction, but the, you know it's only programs that have the ability to measure the brain that can can absolutely prove the changes with fMRI um, and and other kinds of scanning uh, initiatives. Then we can finally say, yeah, definitively, this child is a better student having having been in this organization, having studied this instrument, etc. Yeah, I think a really important thing to remember is this is true for athleticism and for playing an instrument. When you do something again and again, um, you your 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 brain changes, and you know we really know that your your brain can change in in very measurable biological ways. Um, but you know our our so much of what we do and when we are on the field athletically or on the field musically, um, we bring 
who we are, all this learning that we have done, our biological brains, we bring that to the moment. You know, the brain is a, a, a phenomenal predicting organ where everything that we've done up until the moment that we're performing is a part of us. And so learning biologically what, what makes us us, what makes Renee be able to walk out on the stage and perform the way she does is, and, and is, 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 is something that is only possible because of the hours and hours and hours of work that have gone into making her her. So she doesn't even have to be, she can't be thinking about every note she's singing. There's so much more going on. And, um, and so trying to understand who we are biologically is, is a great big deal. And, you know, we really find that the sound mind, the sound mind and really, and being able to, you know, if I, if I put sensors on your brains right now, I have a pretty good sense of um, your uh, strengths and bottlenecks in terms of um, how your brain makes sense of sound. And, um, and, and, and this is because of how you have spent your life in sound. Oh gosh, I feel like the effects of music, it, it truly does heal. You know, I think that anytime that someone may be going through a challenge or a difficult time, music truly is, um, it's almost like medicine, really. Renee, in your work, what most surprised you about music's effect on health through your own career up until this time? You know, what are, what are some of the things... How is we it mostly think about um, kind of the emotional connection that we can create with the audience. So our relationship as performers is with the audience. Mm -hmm. And, um, and that's, it's impressed me throughout my whole career. Um, first of all, that, that um, people like Yo-Yo Ma, myself, those of us who perform internationally are real cultural ambassadors for, um, for this, for us, for our, our lives. And I've always been impressed by how welcoming other audiences are, no matter where they are, how open-minded, how we would, we would be a much more, um, happy crowd if we can understand how much we share. And, uh, so that's, that, that's where I came from, but I also had issues myself. I had, uh, terrible stage fright from time to time. I had somatic pain, which is sort of, you know, it's a mind-induced type of pain that can distract you from something you find distressing, which for me was performance anxiety, performance pressure. And so um, in order to kind of work on those things, I had, um, I read a lot. I started to learn and, and discover this mind-body connection, which wasn't particularly um, really um, embraced when I was a young singer. And, uh, and that's why when I discovered that, that this was all of interest to science, I, I thought, no, this is really, this has potential. But um, I would say, you know, music intonation therapy is interesting to me that someone could have a stroke, not be able to speak at all. And with one session with a, with a um, board certified music therapist, uh, using singing, they could regain the ability to communicate because singing takes place in a different part of the brain than speech does. And so that, that to me was just mind blowing um, or that a therapist could um, 
kind of breathe along with a an infant. You know, unfortunately, there are premature infants who are also born um, drug addicted, and they can't take any sensory um, touch. They can't. There's so much that you can't do with them. It's they're just in constant distress until the withdrawal is complete, and that a therapist can actually just sit next to the incubator and sing tones in training with the child's breathing and get them to calm down. I mean, so that's another way of connecting with a human being, but there are just so many different fascinating therapies, uh, I think, um, definitely dealing with uh, veterans and trauma, trauma in general, being able to use arts therapy to help with trauma. And, you know, music is one thing there. There's also art therapy, you know, visual art therapy. That's so uh, that works incredibly well uh, for some of these, um, uh, issues that people face. And, and right now, there's no question that after the pandemic, um, with the incredible social division that we're experiencing now in our country, uh, the need for social cohesion, which typically over our history, human history took place by sharing uh, drumming or chanting or um, creating songs that, that were you know, indicative of the tribe that we were in, that this is this kind of cohesion is kind of the fabric of our society is really frayed right now. Yeah. And so I just feel that this is one way we can contribute um, to kind of remember who we've always been and, and the ways in which we used to connect. Uh, and definitely um, the arts was one of them, you know, some kind of expressive sharing and we saw this in the beginning of the pandemic when people were on their balconies and singing outside of windows and on um, roofs. And it, to me, it was I was just struck by mm-hmm. um, by people returning to that. I mean, there was no question that there was huge power in it when we couldn't be together. But I mean, I, one of the things that I've been working on is creating an initiative um, for post-COVID, long-COVID patients. Uh, using um, the breathing techniques that we is so much a part of our training um, and sharing that. The Google Arts and Culture has has taken the initiative with 14 of my friends who contributed their own breathing, favorite breathing exercise and a song. And then um, we're now looking to create technology and, and create a way to collect uh, data to sort of see what works, what helps people. Because long COVID is one issue in which people have difficulty breathing, but there are lung disorders that are massive, that are completely, it's not known, I don't think, by the public how many people suffer from various lung disorders. Um, so we're, I'm working with uh, Johns Hopkins now to, to try and figure out a way to um, create something that would be effective, that people could take home. Therapists use har- the harmonica, for instance, to measure breathing function. Mm. They can use a kazoo. So, you know, it should be, you want it to be fun. You want there to be patient buy-in. You want people to actually want to use these things and, uh, um, and share it, you know, from, from their homes, I think with their doctors. So that's, that's one of the things that I'm working on right now. Is this all part of the healing breath initiative? Exactly. We're creating some different um, groups of organizations also Mm -hmm. to help musicians uh, and artists uh, develop some sort of sensitivity around being in a healthcare environment um, and and give them a little bit of a certification so that they can not just work, you know, in their chosen field, but also contribute to their communities with this type of work as well, which many organizations are already doing, especially orchestras are already working in this area. Mm Now, what kind of effect have you seen with the Healing Breath Initiative? What have researchers 
um, noticed in, in those that have taken? We're just starting with this, but there's no question. I mean, I, I visited uh, Houston Methodist not too long ago and saw the um, harmonica and kazoos kind of working. And um, when you think about it, I mean, I said, is anybody requesting blues harmonica lessons? Because that's what I would be doing. <laughs> I would definitely want to learn how to play the, the instrument. But just for someone who can't, who can't breathe, to, yeah. to kind of try to increase their ability to create a tone um, with rhythm, with a rhythmic piece, which, which can take away the anxiety. So anxiety is a huge problem in a hospital setting. And so having, um, having these initiatives be part of a hospital setting can increase so Prescani scores, it can kind of make people mm-hmm. much calmer mm-hmm. and then they can be treated more easily. So that's one thing right there. But we have we have to develop actually the strategy and the way for actually collecting the data. So that's we're just starting on that journey. Yeah. But they're already using uh, the, these initiatives are already being used. They do work. Actually, um, Todd Frazier, who runs the program there, said he his his biggest concern right now was keeping is keeping a hold on growth. So it's really being used and he needs to be able to make sure he has enough people to actually work with patients. Right. Good problem to have. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it's so important. I think, um, you know, I think that what is happening at, 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 in Houston is that people are now learning and understanding the strength and importance of sound and music and music therapy. And I think, you know, part of, of, of being an advocate is to try to bring that understanding to many people. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I certainly know uh, in, in, in writing my book, the idea to communicate in conversationally um, while at the same time um, rooting what I say conversationally in science, you know, uh, 20% of the book is actually references, citations, um, but it, it's, it's spoken in, 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 a, in a conversational way. Um, the, the other thing, I, from what you said, Renee, you know, you talk about communicating and your relationship with the audience. That is... That 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 is key, and and, and you know, so it's again it's something that that we're even doing a little bit right now. You know, it's this betweenness, this back and forth, this reverberation between them and you, and this 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 um, Ian McGilchrist calls this betweenness, which is uh, is is something that we need more than ever in our very polarized society, where. We need to be able to um, to connect so much, and and we, we have lost that. We're losing it day by day in in many ways. You know, we're making some 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 headway in terms of, of music and initiatives, but we're also just in terms of our of our society um, and the way we are disconnected is um, in in many ways getting worse. And, and I think that if we think about, you know, people have been communicating with each other using sound for hundreds of thousands of years. 
And, and in fact, people are often surprised when they listen to audiobooks how much they remember, how um, easy it is for them to follow the story and, and, and really stay engaged. Um, and and I, this is because from an evolutionary standpoint, way before we began reading, you know, that happened 5,000 years ago, but for hundreds of thousands of years, um, organisms have needed to um, communicate and to really engage in, with their world through, through sound. So this is a very deep, important way to connect with the world, which we are, which, which we're losing, and um, and 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 one that um, really stands to gain a lot through music initiatives, through through through. You know, I think that part of what. Um, you know, I see this passion in, in, in Renee of wanting people to understand what she sees so clearly in terms of the importance of, 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 of music for connection. It's, it's so embodied and it's embodied by what you do. Um, and, but, you know, how do you uh, help people understand that, uh, which once they, when, when, once once they do, um, you know, I, I think this is this is is really a a change and a direction a direction for the better. So going back to the issue about about trauma and helping and using music to help heal trauma, um, we discussed that a little bit earlier. And, and Renee, you mentioned about the veterans and the military injuries. And then um, Nina, you're doing research with concussions. And I've done work with concussions for 22 years, and we use like uh, noise canceling headphones to help control uh, the early symptoms. So we're actually just starting to utilize or at least use uh, modalities to help with sound. But it sounds like you're actually using rhythm in music to help heal and help treat concussions. So can, yeah. you, can you discuss that a little bit? Oh, I, I just I would love to because you know it, it really um, joins. You know all the work that that um, that we've been doing with music, and that Renee has has been um, championing with um, with 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 music um, into the, the the field of athleticism, and, uh, and and again, when you think about it for a minute, it it is not such a, a long shot. It's in fact very natural. I was at a Concussion Legacy Foundation um, dinner. Uh, a while back, and um, and at, at some point they 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 made us dance, and um, I found myself on the dance floor with some enormous um, football players who moved so responsively and elegantly, and it, it was it actually it was it really made an impression on me how. Sensitive, of course, if you think about it for a minute, of course, an athlete is going to be tremendously sensitive to another person's movements, to how they can adjust their own movements. You know, this is this betweenness, this reciprocity, which we get. I mean, in, in music, my best example is when you sing harmony with someone, you know, you're, you are, are listening to them and adjusting your voice and listening to yourself and then they're listening to you and you're kind of going back and forth. Well, rhythm and movement is very, very much this way. So the athletes have this already 
and to use um, rhythm. And we know that rhythm is very tied to sound processing in the brain and the kinds of disruptions that we see with head trauma. So when we measure the response of athletes who have had a concussion, um, we can really see that certain rhythmic aspects of sound are just dis- the processing of sound is disrupted. And so, you know, we, we um, have reason and some early data to, to, to show that um, this would really be a, an effective way to um, help an athlete who is experiencing um, concussion symptoms recover faster. And, um, and at the same time, I think it will really help us understand um, sound processing in athletes and enable us to uh, then use this, the sound processing to um, gauge the um, effectiveness of therapy. And I think really importantly, you know, we, we can see that, that you know, w- one of the reasons that an athlete often, when they have a single concussion, they often get a second concussion. That's, and, 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 you know, I, I would venture to say that that's because the athlete is returning to play before his brain is ready. And if we have a way of um, assessing brain health and, 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 you know, we can see as we measure the athletes who ha- have had a concussion, we, we measure their responses to sound week after week after week. And we can just see, um, oh, um, you know, at, at this point, even when other measures are showing that the athlete might be clear to play, um, you know, we see that, well, the brain's response to sound is still not quite right. And, and it's a matter of, you know, waiting another week or two weeks, you know, and, 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 you know, the, the, the brain heals, the brain changes quickly. And again, if you can bring rhythm therapy into this to make it happen even better, um, you know, all in all, I think we can, um, use biology to, uh, enhance athlete health, um, in, in the same way as, as we can use biology to better understand, um, well, you know, what makes us us and how we can engage with the world better um, through sound and music. So Renee, with we talking about performers and musicians and such, is there a place for music therapy to help heal those who are having problems uh, performing themselves as far as like performance anxiety, as far as uh, stage fright, those kinds of things? Is there a way to- Yeah, in have- fact, um, uh, Joanne Lowy in, in New York City, uh, in Mount Sinai, has a wonderful program. There are a lot of hospitals actually around the country now that service, serve uh, performers uh, because there are, there are repetitive stress injuries, um, certainly a lot of vocal injuries, period. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, so we need some kind of therapy to, to kind of recover. Um, that's usually the kind of the domain of the SLP and, and voice therapists. But yeah, there are definitely many things that can be done. And, you know, there's another thing we haven't discussed that, that we all share, which is pain. And, and art therapies for pain can be enormously useful. And, 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 it's, and it is definitely a, a point of inquiry now for researchers because so many people in the country suffer from pain. We have a horrible 
opioid epidemic as a result and right. uh, finding ways um, and whether it's for rehab or uh, in my case, it was somatic pain. So it was kind of trying to figure out why what it, why um, avoiding performing was such a, you know, an important <laughs> thing when it's my chosen field and I actually love to do it. Uh, so, uh, yeah, there are lots of ways in which um, creative arts therapies can be extremely useful. Neuro arts, I, you know, I, I kind of encourage everyone to do two things. It's to go to the Sound Health Network website, mm-hmm. um, which is based at UCSF. Uh, the NEA actually has funded this initiative to kind of bring together all of these therapies under one resource center, one roof. Uh, and they have tremendous programming that touches on all aspects of this work. And then the other one that I would check out, which is new, is called NeuroArts. And they just have released a blueprint for creating a field. Um, climate change is a, is a recent field. Climate mm-hmm. science, um, it didn't exist um, 20 years ago or something. So she's, we're, we're trying to do the same thing and, um, and basically to reduce all the silos. Because right now our work is quite siloed. Mm-hmm. Um, you're you're going to try to bring together diverse disciplines and communities um, to kind of bring it together and with a, a not give it a center of gravity of research that will foster innovation, and then also create these education and career pathways for people to kind of join in, and um, and create this this new field. So you need fund to you know funding policy leadership and especially communications outlines so that people, the general public is aware, but also that other people interested in the sector are aware of what's going on. So I recommend those two, uh, those two initiatives in terms of seeing what's happening. And of course, I'm still loving my work at the Kennedy Center. I'm also uh, working with Los Angeles Opera, and they have many multiple health partners. Uh, They're doing tremendous work in the Los Angeles community. Uh, so arts organizations can combine with healthcare uh, institutions and researchers to further shore up our populations. And we need this. Um, people are, are desperate for that kind of caring mm-hmm. um, handoff from all these different organizations. What do you see that the main goal for neural arts will be in the future here? Is, is there a... Um... Do you see a certain aspect of of this field uh, in the future, as far as um, as far as make, making this more applicable to to hospitals all across the country, or just kind of making it its own discipline? What do you see in the future as far as um, the goals for neural arts? Well, it's a very ambitious uh, program. Um, my personal desire, um, and I'm starting to just starting to formulate a plan for this, is to create arts hubs that go hand in hand with all of the AI big box store healthcare that people will be receiving in the next 10 years. Um, you know, I, I, I do think that whether it's an app or a concierge system, like um, the UK, for instance, has developed this, uh, this public um, prescribing and this arts prescribing system. Um, Massachusetts is working on this as well in Rhode Island. I think there are some states that are understanding that that uh, allowing people to kind of get what they really need and not just a pill is, 
is serving uh, the, the extraordinary healthcare costs that we have. It's it's really helping immensely, I think, to also free up doctors and nurses to do the thing they really should be doing, which is which is caring for people's bodies. Mm-hmm. Um, and so these various arts therapies can kind of support them in a tremendous way. So to have an arts hub connected to AI, you know, you can get your nails done in a Walmart. You know, why couldn't you say, wow, I could get music lessons for my for my child or I could, um, you know, my uncle had a stroke. He could be part of this choir. There's a stroke choir in our community. I didn't know that. Or we could get that kind of therapy for someone who's lost the ability to speak. You know, there's just so much that the public is unaware of. And I know this because I didn't know. I didn't know the difference between a music therapist and somebody who goes and plays um, in a healthcare setting, plays an instrument or plays, you know, an orchestra. So uh, there's just a, a lack of, of knowledge about what's available and how it works and how well it works. So that would be my big dream. But neural arts, I mean, have a look at the blueprint. It's really ambitious in a great way. And it brings in not just music, but everything that affects us aesthetically, um, nature, um, the humanities, architecture, uh, all of the arts, uh, and and of course, this is not the classical arts. This is anything that moves us. You know, all of these arts therapies are taste based. So the therapist will work with us and say, "What music do you like?" and work off of that. So um, just you know, there's this kind of idea that the word art is somehow elitist, but what we're really talking about is who we are as creative beings and um, our ability to want to connect through beauty. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I'm always so um, inspired when I listen to you, Renee, um, because I think that's something that, that we, we, I think, both share is, um, you know, a, a way, an ability to see that seemingly disparate fields are um, are connected in in ways that um, are often not recognized, and so you know your efforts to make people understand, to help people understand, to help you know us understand, because uh, you know you and I um, have been discovering this firsthand for ourselves as well, um, is right. is 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 really important, um, and, uh, and 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 I, I think you know. I, I have a, a, a much more modest agenda, but um, I, I do hope that 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 uh, the audience listening to this will um, will read my book um, because I wrote it for you. It really is 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 a um, a, a way to uh, connect fields and to to bring these different. Uh, ideas together in one place, which is something that you have so marvelously done with your various initiatives. It, it is important to to give people a um, a handhold, right? So so you go someplace and you find a lot of information in one place, as you have have shared for your work. And, um, and, and, and so, you know, in, in, in my own modest way, I, I, I try to, to, to do this in, in the book and also over the years at our website, 
um, our BrainVault website, which is really created to um, communicate the science, the biology to to anyone who is interested in that. And and you'll see on the homepage, there's a little video from uh, Renee's, uh, the, the, from the music in the mind, one of the, uh, <laughs> one of the times that we, we, we got to, to, to spend time together, which um, I always value. One of the first things I heard you talk about, Nina, too, because you've become such a force, the success of your book. I mean, you know, any book that makes it to NPR is going to have a wider audience right there. And it's so well written in the, in, in the sense that it's really accessible for anyone. Uh, but one of the things you first talked about was how how picking up an instrument or, or doing something like this um, as we age can really increase our ability to maintain brain health. And that's something we're all worried about. As I go around the country and the world and perform, people ask mostly about dementia and Alzheimer's. They're afraid. And, um, and with good reason, because the numbers are increasing. And um, uh, there's no question that we want to kind of have activities built into our life. Absolutely, athleticism is part of that, a huge part of that, is staying active and keeping cardiac um, health in order, um, which feeds that blood feeds the brain. And this is me talking as a total layman, obviously. I have no idea what the correct terminology is, but I have gotten that message. And another piece of that is that um, learning an instrument, doing something new, something that kind of takes you out of your routine, your comfort zone, is fantastic for brain health. What kind of government government support have you had for neuroarts, for uh, music in the mind, all these other initiatives? How much funding and grants uh, and grant support have you had? Well, I was so fortunate to meet Francis Collins, which is what started me on this whole um, trail, uh, because the fact that the NIH has now funded um, much more than $20 million and will continue to fund uh, research on, particularly right now, music and uh, health um, research is validates the field entirely. So people who have been working in this for a long time, like Nina and other great researchers, now um, see that the NIH has really been outspoken about the fact that, hey, we really think this is important. Um, they also have an you know, a whole, a whole um, uh, institution as part of the NIH that's for integrative medicine uh, alone, which I didn't realize. If you go, I now go to the NIH website a lot to look up anything because you'll find out what the latest research is. So you'll see who's gotten these grants and how much they are and what they're doing and if they've gotten them repeatedly. Um, it's a fantastic resource for a resource for understanding any kind of, of, of healthcare issue. Um, so the funding is, is coming. I, I know that Susan Mag Salmon and Ruth Katz, who spearhead and uh, the NeuroArts Blueprint, are definitely going to be able to raise money. There's a lot of interest in this right now, and I do think. Um, the pandemic, to some degree, has been helpful because people have kind of seen firsthand that it it works, that it's important, and that um, it's something we should be supporting. Certainly, healthcare is is not getting any less expensive, and so if we can find non-invasive, non-pharmaceutical um, initiatives that can support healthcare uh, inexpensively, it's win-win. So it's it's definitely growing. Excellent. Yeah, I would, I would love to see in medical settings, especially the one that I work at. We actually have music therapy for pediatric populations, and it's really nice mm -hmm. to see the impact that it makes, especially on anxiety. Um, I work primarily with 
patients who are struggling with eating disorders, but even through that therapy, it's just really great to see that it is being implemented. And I hope that we can increase this implementation. Um, Sound and music, this is our universal language. It brings us together, connects us, it can help heal us. How do we do our part in spreading awareness about all of these initiatives? And for those looking for additional resources, you mentioned a few, Renee. Um, where, what else? Where else can people go, especially for musicians and, and those who may be struggling mentally? Um, actually, the initiative there's a there's a convening um, through the Sound Health Network in I believe it's in June that will focus on mental health. So I would highly recommend that people just, you, all you have to do is sign up to receive their newsletter and you'll keep track of that important information. And I'm going to guess that it would be open to the public. Um, uh, it, this is something also that I'm encouraging everywhere I give uh, classes to young artists and young performers in conservatories and universities. I say double major and think about healthcare as a career path, as a sort of a, even a, even something to support the career path you're on. We all, of course, want to be the next um, major star in our field. But um, for those of us, for the, for those who can't reach that and attain that, it's just so rewarding. The fact that Yo-Yo Ma and Emmanuel Axe were playing for patients um, who were very ill in the hospital with COVID on, on, on Zoom tells you that even for them, this is extremely rewarding and how generous and how wonderful. Um, so, but that I would say, I would, you could look at the NEA website, um, look at Creative Forces. I would definitely go to the NIH. And for funding though, um, for sure, uh, the uh, Sound Health Network would, they actually are doing workshops uh, that are helping people get funding and teaching you what it is you need to provide. And I also, I also tell musicians, reach out to your local med school and see if you can't do some research with a med student who might be interested in this. Try to connect um, with people who are in healthcare. That's great. That's great. Now, we are so grateful for this conversation. It's been a pleasure getting to speak with you both. Steve, as always, pleasure. Um, Nina, thank you for being here. And Renee, thank you so much for sharing your expertise and, and sharing your journey with us and all the amazing initiatives that you're working on. We can't wait to share this podcast with those listening and to, to increase awareness about all of these initiatives and how we can support through music. Thank you. Thank you. Jason can share a list of, of these initiatives and other ones that people might be interested in following too. Great. Thank you so much. A pleasure speaking with you. And thanks for sharing um, the success that, that athletics have had in terms of research and rehabilitation with us. We so appreciate that. It's amazing. It's all, it's all working together so well. So we really appreciate your time and have a great rest of your day. All right. Take care. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, that wraps up our show for today. Remember, if you like what you hear, please leave a review and subscribe to our podcast. For Yasi Ansari, this is Stephen Karajinas, and this has been the Athletes in the Arts podcast. Mm-hmm.